Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Having memories of God's past faithfulness will carry you through many dark times in the Christian life. That's especially true if you end up having to live through a time of persecution or great loneliness. In such times, God may seem distant, but in Habakkuk chapter 3, the prophet shows us how God is near and that He has a plan for you. Such plans are backed up by His promises and His power. If things are challenging for you now, this message is for you. If things are going well, you will need this someday. Here's Pastor Jim in part two of his message, Rejoicing in the God Who Shows Up. The mountains and the hilltops were the, also were the homes to the false Canaanite gods that had sucked God's people in. So God doesn't only want to discipline His people, He wants to get those false gods out out of the land, and it worked when the Babylonians came. But those mountains, those hilltops that, that housed the Canaanite gods, they crumble before the living God. And how does God take them out? How does God take them down? In verse 6, two words, he looked. That's it. He looked. That's all it takes for a cosmic upheaval. That's all it takes for God just to take a look to make this planet, to make Earth, jump like a frog. That's, a, that's all it takes, a simple look of God. The things of nature, which many of us think have always been and always will be, will bow at the feet of the eternal King their creator. Remember Jesus said, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that, that they, you know, he's coming in on uh, Palm Sunday on the triumphal entry and the religious leaders were like, hey, you know, stop it. Stop all the commotion. Tell your people not to, not to be saying all this stuff about you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But, but Jesus said, hey, if they don't say it, the rocks will. Everything is sort of like, you know, just at its status quo right now, but there will come a time figuratively speaking, or maybe even actually, when nature will sing his praises to the glory of God. This is why we sing. This is why we sing songs of worship of the Lord's glory and the Lord's might. This is why we serve our king. And what are some words in this passage we could use about our king? Well, one thing is we could say about him, and we're experiencing it right now. He is a disrupting king. He has come now and he's going to disrupt the world. He is right now perhaps disrupting our world. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you're here today and maybe you keep watching and you're like, I don't know what's happening to me. He's disrupting your world. And let me tell you something from someone who tried to fight that battle, you will lose. You will lose. So I would implore you, beg you to put your trust in Jesus today. So we serve him because he is our wonderful king. He's our disrupting king, and we celebrate him. Part of our singing the songs of his glory and his might is we are celebrating with him his past, present, and future victories. So that's number one, what we see when God shows up. Number two is the reason why God shows up. The reason why God shows up. Look at verse eight. Now Habakkuk is actually addressing the Lord directly, uh, the, directing the victorious warrior God, and he begins with a question. 
O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath or your rage against the sea? That or when you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Perhaps he's, 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 he's asking about the Nile. When you messed up the Nile River in Egypt, were you mad at the river? When, when the people crossed the Red Sea and you parted it, were you, were you upset with the Red Sea or, or, the, or the Jordan River when Joshua took the people in to the promised land? Were you, were you upset with that? Or, or maybe thinking about the ocean, right, with, with Jonah. Were you, were you mad at the ocean when that happened? Lord, were you angry with the water? The obvious answer is no. We're not supposed to think that God was angry with the water. The idea is that when the Lord comes in power, he will come controlling everything, including the forces of nature, which he will use often the forces of nature as his weapons as he fights against people. Now, it's very interesting when it talks about the Lord uh, parting the sea and moving the sea and stuff like that. There's a great term that's used for it. It just says that all he has to do is blast his nostrils. Could you imagine that? So all the upheaval is he just gives a look. And one time he looks at the sea and he looks down and goes, you know, kind of snorts at it. <laughs> and, and there it goes. And it just parts. The Lord's anger is not against the water. The Lord's anger is against those who have enslaved his people and the false gods that they encouraged their people to serve and they themselves served. Make no mistake about it. The plagues in Egypt, the drowning of Pharaoh's army was a judgment of God and a picture of what the judgment of God is like. And once again, it's important for us to remind ourselves it is the remembrance of God's faithful intervention in the past that fuels Habakkuk, and he is walking by faith now instead of chapter 1, wondering what's going on because he's remembering these mighty deeds of God. Habakkuk is no longer looking and praying for God's intervention again, or he is looking, sorry, he is longing and, and praying for God's intervention again, and the truly oppressed, I'm not talking about the people who like always feeling sorry for themselves, but the truly oppressed are invited to call upon the name of the Lord. Now let's be honest with one another. The American church hates any talk of the judgment of God. The American church largely ignores the judgment of God. But loved ones, here's the truth. Ignoring something or not talking about something does not make it go away. The judgment of God is not going to go away. And if you want to avoid the judgment of God, Jesus actually talked about this in Luke chapter 6, you'll probably pack a very large group of people into a building. You'll get a lot of people who want to listen to your positive message, but what's the problem? They won't repent. Remember Jesus said you have to repent and believe. There's nothing to repent of if you don't see the judgment of God. There's nothing to believe in if you think everything is okay. And this is, explains why many people would say that our churches are so full of people who are really not Christians in God's eyes. 
But what comfort, and, and here, just forget that you're an American for a second, if you are, what comfort the judgment of God brings to his people who truly live under oppression. I mean, just think about that for a minute. I'm going to tell you a story, if you've been here a while, you've heard me tell it probably one or two times before, but for those of you who've never heard it, it might be, might be worth retelling the story. One night at youth group, uh, one of the female leaders couldn't make it, and so we broke up the kids into small groups, and so what I would do would be, if a leader was not there, I would, I would take the group, and so one of the groups. So I ended up with a group of about a dozen middle school girls, right? How exciting, Pastor Jim and the middle school girls. And the, and the subject was the judgment of God. So I asked the girls what they thought about the judgment of God. And boy, you want to talk about squirming and ew, and you would have thought I put you know, worms in their hair or something like that. And so I went down the line and I asked each girl what they thought about the judgment of God. And we went down, oh, I hate it. Oh, I don't want to think about it. I don't know anything about it. I don't want to talk about it. I didn't like tonight what we were talking about. It makes me feel uncomfortable. All the way down the line until we came to the very last girl. She was relatively new to the United States. She was a Christian who lived in Egypt. Her family was very, very well educated. I believe the father was here, and God bless him, he was pumping gas. I think the mother was working in Dunkin' Donuts, and they had very prestigious jobs in Egypt. But where they lived, they were driven out of the land by the Muslim Brotherhood. They were very fearful for their lives. And so when I came to her and I said, well, what do you think about God's judgment? Do you think God will judge? I'll never forget her answer. I sure hope he does. Because she had experienced what it was like to really be oppressed by the enemies of the living God. And so while we might think that judgment is a horrible thing to other people in other parts of the world, they can't wait for it. They're wondering what is taking so long. Verse 9, he continues, Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sewn over your arrows. Another version says, You called for many arrows. Selah. Stop. Think about it. Pause. God is coming to fight on behalf of his people. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. Or Another version says they shuddered. The overflowing of the water passed by. Torrents of water were just kind of going by the, by, the, by the mountains. The deep or the ocean uttered its voice. Another version says it roared and lifted its hands on high. What does that mean? The waves were coming up so super high. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. They just stopped. God was in the house and they just stopped, could be, uh, you know, the idea is they just cease to give light, could be referring to Joshua 10. At the light or the, or the brightness of your arrows, they went at the shining or the lightning of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. In other words, as you marched through the land in fury, you trampled the nations in anger. In other words, as you trampled the nations in wrath. Now, what sounds scary to some, brings comfort and confidence to the prophet. 
Did you hear that? What is scary to some brings confidence and comfort to the prophet, brings confidence and comfort to the man of God or the woman of God who knows that our God is coming and our God comes in power, he comes in glory, and our God rules and our God reigns. Where are the wise of chapter one? Where did they go? Now they are being turned into the Lord has a plan. The assurance of the fact that the Lord has a plan, but not only does he have a plan, he has the invincible power to carry out his plan to defeat all evil because our faith, this is important for us to know, our faith is more than ideas. Our faith is based on the acts of God. Now, Bible scholars are very divided on this passage as well they should be. Who knows what he's talking about or is it a collage of different things? I mean, is this, is this a vision that's looking back? I mean, this could even be something like the flood and various things throughout, throughout God's history. Or is he looking ahead to the, to the second coming of Jesus? I'm okay with both. And I think Habakkuk is too. You see, friends, you might think, oh, well, it's nice that he has assurance, but, but the assurance is ours as well. The book of Hebrews tells us that our Savior King, the Lord Jesus, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the word of God promises he will come again. But not only does he come, we see on a regular basis that, that the Lord steps into the chaos of this world. It's not like he left us here, like the alien theory. You know, they left us here and they're going to come back for us. Not a proponent of that myself. And, but, but it's not like he left us here and lets us deal with the chaos. No, he steps into the chaos of the world, which is the history of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth. He stepped into the chaos of this world. Don't forget, back in chapter 1 and then in chapter 2, why were the Babylonians coming? Because the people were sinners. Because the people had left God. Yet, what does chapter 3 tell us? He comes. What does God tell us in the person of the Lord Jesus? He comes. This is something that, that, that blew the mind of the Apostle Paul. He says, while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinning, it's still going on. Christ died for us. Maybe we should take a Selah. Maybe we should take a moment to think about that. That in the midst of even our sinful lifestyles or just our ignoring God, leaving him alone, not caring about him, not thinking about him, he comes. He comes to his people. Now verse 13 is key. You went forth. Why did he go forth? For the salvation of your people. That's why he came, for the salvation of your people. Another version says, to deliver your people for the salvation with your anointed. For salvation with your anointed. Another version says, to save your anointed one. Now, scholars want to debate. Is he talking about the anointing of Moses, of the kings, of the people, of Jesus? I just go, okay, <laughs> I'm fine with all of that. You struck, he's talking directly to God, you struck or you crushed the head 
from the house of the wicked by laying bare from the foundations to neck. Another version says, you stripped him from foot to neck. Selah, think about that. Think about the mighty power of God coming to, to save his people. And it's just not like he's like, oh, come on, let's go, let's go. No, he's coming in power. Verse 14, you thrust through with your own arrows the head of his villages or the warriors. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. Another version says gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You say, which is it, the the poor or the weak? Well, it's important to remember that the word poor in the Bible often, probably more often than it, it speaks about money, speaks about the oppressed people of God. Verse 15, you, you walked or you trampled, another version says, through the sea with your horses, through the heap or the surging of the great waters, of the waves of the great waters. The Lord wants us to see in passages like this that his acts in the past demonstrate he is able to save in the present and in the future, all who put their faith and trust in him. Nothing's gonna stop him. Nothing is gonna stop him. Not even death could stop Jesus Christ. Habakkuk says, you went forth. He says, another version says, you came out. Why? For the salvation of your people. Even in the worst of times, God showed up. The completely worst of times, God showed up. And for Habakkuk, the sadness of the people of God losing their faith, which was happening in his time, the sadness of society falling apart, the sadness of knowing that that this wickedness, that the Babylonians were coming for them, is replaced by hope of the coming of the Lord. Friends, that is the message we need to remember for people today. That we find ourselves in the midst of so many different things, so many different things going on, but our hope is grounded in the coming of the Lord. And these images are so graphic. Not only does the Lord show up But if you think about it, it's like he almost tears apart the whole world to deliver his people. It's like he tears the place up to deliver his people and to lead his people home. But friends, that is the hope of the gospel. That on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was torn up. He was beaten and bloodied. So all who would repent and believe, all who would repent, all who would turn to God and believe, put their trust in the Lord Jesus, could be delivered, could be placed in the position of experiencing the forgiveness of sins, could experience mercy in the midst of God's judgment. And the thing is, friend, remember this. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're, you're saying, man, I've messed up my whole life. What a, what a disaster it's been. God would never take me. Remember, when does God come? Right on time. Right on time. Always comes right on time. Perhaps you were living that way for a long time, so the meaning of the cross is gonna be deeply planted in you. You're, you're gonna know that you know that you know 
that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. After Jesus had rose from, was crucified, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven, the apostle Paul wrote these words. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, we might say, just at the right time, at the perfect time in history, and maybe in your history, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. What happened? Jesus showed up. Born of a woman under the law, he had to obey God, to redeem. What does that word mean? It means to buy, but often more than just buy, it would often tie to someone who would buy a slave for the express intent of setting them free. To redeem those who are under the law or the penalty of the law, that the Bible says we have to keep it perfectly. There's a few things. You ever tell a lie? You did. You didn't keep it perfectly. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, when you read the Gospels, it's important to look for times when you see not only the power of God, we're always looking at the, the power of God to heal, But it's also important that we're looking for the judgment of God. I'll give you two quick examples of that. One is when we we get the preview of the judgment of God when when Jesus is casting out demons. That that the powers of evil will not go on forever having their oppressive nature on people, on God's people. That's not going to happen at all. Do I believe that we can be demon-possessed as Christians? I don't. Do I believe that we can be oppressed? I do. And when Jesus was on the cross, there was a great darkness that came over the land as God was judging sin on his perfect son. And then there was an earthquake. Some of the very things that we've seen here today, the Apostle Paul tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, the the unseen world and the whole universe shook. And then in Colossians chapter 2, after telling us that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, he says this, Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, we might say the unseen evil enemies of God, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Later on in the Bible at the end, Revelation 6.17 looks at the very end of time and asks this question about in the great day of wrath, in the great day of judgment, who can stand? And the answer is simply this. Who can stand God's judgment? It is those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus. If you never have, today's your day. Today is the fullness of time for you. Today is the day for you to avoid all of this terror and be welcomed into the glorious light of the Lord Jesus. Then what do you do? Well, it's like most of the people watching, probably, you are then to be, have, it says, the just shall live by his faith. You see, passages like this, in one sense, there's a little bit of a terrifying nature to it, but in another sense, as you rest in the security of what Jesus has done, not what you have done, it can calm your nerves and fill you with wonder at the grace of God, that he would do this for you, that this all-powerful God would want to come to save you 
And it will, they help us to stand in awe of our Savior King. Remembering the mighty works of God will help you face today. Remembering the mighty works of God will help you rejoice in the God of your salvation. Why? Because there's something you know when you worship the King. You know Jesus comes. He always comes. You may not know when. And for somebody here today, it might be right now. But Jesus always shows up. That is the hope that everybody who has put their trust in Jesus Christ has. And today, instead of being sucked into everything that's going on in our world, let us rejoice, stand in wonder, and stand in awe of the God who always shows up. Thanks for listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to bring you hope, encouragement, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray with us that Changed by Love will make a profound difference in many lives. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Teaming together in prayer is the key to a spiritually rich life. It really does take a team of praying individuals to reach thousands. Thank you for being a part of the Change by Love support team. To find out more ways to team with Change by Love, go to our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you could call 862-217-9686. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.